we need to be humble and we need to act humbly to say, what is it that we're trying to accomplish? What are our goals? And how do we actually go about accomplishing our goals in a practical, realistic way, not in some ivory tower ideal way where we don't care about reality because we have some model, but in a way that we actually care very deeply about reality and are prepared to discard models that don't correspond to reality. That to me is, it's the fundamental crisis of our age, right? where we have academia and intelligentsia and the political yeah. sphere completely out of touch with reality, but carrying around models that say, this is what will happen when I raise interest rates or lower interest rates or legislate this or legislate that. And it continuously doesn't work, but they won't let go of the model because well, the practicality doesn't seem to matter. To them. Hello and welcome to the Freedom Footprint Show. I'm your host, Luke the Pseudofin, and I'm here as always with Knut Svonholm. Good evening, Knut. Good evening, Luke. Good to see you again. Good, Good to see you. It's been a few days in a row, actually, of recording. This has been a lot of fun and great to have lots of great Bitcoiners on, including tonight's guest, Tomer Strolight. Very excited to talk to him. Yeah, I haven't spoken to Tomer in a while, which is an oddity because... We kept in touch after Miami because we're almost the same person, <laughs> but from different sides of the Atlantic Ocean. So very much looking forward to having a little chat with him again and see what's going on with him at the moment. Yeah. Just a quick reminder, if you'd like to support the show, the best way you can do that is on Value for Value. If you use one of the podcast apps such as Fountain or Breeze, you can stream us some sats or give us a boost if you uh, feel like the show is good value for your time. You can also share our content or subscribe to the Consensus Network YouTube channel. And speaking of consensus, consensus is what's brought this show together and is the platform that we're building on. They build translations of Bitcoin books and are also doing all this content stuff that Freedom Footprint is a part of. So check them out at consensus.network. And you can also find the lovely shirts that we're wearing. We didn't coordinate this, but we're matching everything divided by 21 million shirts on right now. So you can find that all at knutsfonthome.com. Am I missing anything, Knut? The books, but people will find them. <laughs> and another Perfect. book called Why Bitcoin, a beautiful book by Tomer Strolight, our guest tonight. Uh, so if you want to support him, you look for that book. Sounds good. Well, let's just get Tomer on and get started, hey? Perfect. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hey, how's it wow. going? It's been a long time. It's been weird. I'm in a bit of a, a weird situation right now. I recently was at Pacific Bitcoin. I came back home. I caught COVID, so I had to leave because we've got one of my kids here who has an immunocompromised condition, and then I unfortunately gave it to my wife. So I'm doing a little bit of taking care of people, but it's turned out to be a mild case for us both. And so far, my daughter has not caught it, so we're we're pleased with that. Yeah. Glad to hear that you had a mild case of COVID because it can yeah. be rough. I had a pretty rough one myself. But so we're getting started here, uh, Tomer. Could you give us a quick intro for our listeners who might not be familiar with your work? Sure. I've been involved in Bitcoin since way back in 2013. Uh, just curious about it. One of those people who studied it and fell down the rabbit hole. 
about February of 2022, I decided I really wanted to dedicate, of 2020 rather, that I really wanted to dedicate a lot of my time to it. I'd lost my fiat job because of the COVID crisis. And I started writing about Bitcoin. And one thing led to another. I ended up writing this series of articles called Why Bitcoin, which I turned into a book. I ended up working closely with Swan, working on their private newsletter, which is called Swan Private Insight, that goes out to their private members, to their high net worth individuals. I ended up making a short film called Bitcoin is Generational Wealth. All of this one thing leads to another and really wanted to get involved on the, more so on the cultural and artistic side of Bitcoin. And so I've been trying to find projects to work on that, that involve that. And there's one project I'm involved in now, I'm starting to talk about, which we're calling Satoshi, the cyber opera, which is a loose adaptation of an article that I wrote called The Legendary Treasure of Satoshi Nakamoto. But it's a backstory. It's attempting to tell a backstory of Satoshi. It's really interesting made-up story. But the idea of it is to capture the spirit and the intelligence and the courage of, of a person who might have turned out to be Satoshi or a team of people who might have turned out to be Satoshi, as well as going into the details of what the movement means to people. And I think the idea of expressing this through music and dance and staging is a real opportunity. Because one of the things that when, when Knut and I first met, we met at the Miami Bitcoin conference and it was really amazing to see so many Bitcoiners together. But one of the things I remarked on was just how we're all very much the same. We're all somewhere on the spectrum and we're all very interested in how a SHA-256 pointer with a target collision value below a certain thing meets. And like those are really interesting things and they're why Bitcoin works so well, but they're things that aren't of interest to most people. Whereas the meaningful personal aspects of Bitcoin really is what will connect to people. And so I'm trying to find ways to break through the, here's how it works mathematically to here's what it means and here's what it means in your soul and here's what it means in lots of different ways. And so I think that's what this project, every one of my projects that I've been working on lately, I'm trying to get closer and closer to being able to break through what are all these obstacles that exist in, in normies discovering Bitcoin and discovering its true story and its meaning because I'm just amazed by how many people even adore the story of the background of Bitcoin. It's not just this invention, it's this invention with an incredible story behind it. And the more that you can tell that story, the better it is. Unsurprisingly, it's an opera that's meant to have 21 songs in it. And, and they tell the story arcs. We've invited lots oh. of artists to contribute and participate. You, so you got all the 21 songs already? No, they're not written. We, we know what they need to be. And okay. so, so because like in order to tell the story, and there's still a lot of flexibility in terms of moving things around, but there is a whole story arc. So, so for, for someone like you, you can watch yeah. the recording of our last meeting, which will tell this backstory. And it's, I don't want to spoil it for your listeners because, but there's quite a few twists and turns in this story that will leave people, <laughs> people who are familiar with the story. And it's a bit of a blank canvas. Who might Satoshi have been? What background might that, that person yeah. have had? So it's an attempt to fill in a lot of those blanks with an arbitrary, but deeply moving, heartwarming story. One that everybody can relate to, I think, or that has aspects of it that everyone will relate to and then really showcase the story of this living thing, this, cre this creation and how it connects with different types of people all over the world and hopefully with some anthems. So I'd love for you to write a piece for it. I'd love to, I'd love to at least one.
<laughs> yeah, for and sure. I, I've got a couple of Bitcoin related songs written. They're not, you know, explicitly about Bitcoin, but if you read between the lines, they are. And maybe one of them would fit, or I could just re adjust yeah. the lyrics a little bit. And yeah, yeah. hopefully it'll turn out to. Well, I'd be happy to find some something. personal time with you to take you through this story if you don't want to watch the recording. And, yeah, I'd uh, love to. And really dig in on some of these things. We should. We should definitely have a. Since since you're taking the since you're taking the project more seriously, I should too. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, I trust your judgment on that. It's amazing how these things come to life in Bitcoin. Like that, that you can manifest ideas that come. Like this, uh, this wasn't really my idea. It was it, it's a, a woman named DJ Valerie Beat. Yeah. So she and I had this call to discuss this, and we brainstormed the story for this opera, and it came out. A lot of things had just happened to me personally in connecting to to other creative people in the Bitcoin space, the same people I'd worked on with for the film, Bitcoin is Generational Wealth, and other people we'd added to that team. And my head was just filled with all these ideas. And then we sat down to write this thing and it just came, it came pouring out and it felt really natural and really positive. And we were talking about it with people at Pacific Bitcoin and she's been talking to people about it in El Salvador because she's been down there since. And, and people who are enthusiastic attach themselves to the project and I have a feeling it could turn out to be really great. I don't want to set the expectations too high, but I also don't want to set them low. I want to say, you know what? We're aiming to do a world-class production that will have memorable, unforgettable music, tell an unforgettable story, a moving story that will be appealing to just about anyone. When I first started talking about this with people at, in Los Angeles, it was other people who said to me, I didn't, I didn't care much about American history, but Hamilton was something that everyone was talking about and seeing. And I ended up learning more about early American history because of that musical than anything else. And I think there are so many cultural works that end up teaching us about history and about important things because they were moving enough for somebody to create a cultural work inspired by a true story. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm really hoping comes out of this. The Book of Mormon comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> that's, but that's interesting in that it's a satire and there's, I think there's plenty of examples of inspired musicals that, that really move people to be sympathetic to a cause or be awakened by a cause. I, I think of Les Mis, which is based off of a, a novel, a fictional novel by Victor Hugo, but did that ever popularize that story in a way that the novel never managed to itself, despite mm -hmm. being written by perhaps the greatest novelist of all time. So when you take a story and you set it to stage and to music, it suddenly takes on a deeper life and ultimately gets made into a film that's widely seen. So I want to be able to be involved in something like that for Bitcoin and for the story of Satoshi. Of course. The thing I love so much about Book of Mormon is that while it points out the stupidity of the whole movement, it also points to how well-intended everyone is. So everyone's in it for the right reasons, and these stories get corrupted and twisted for good reasons, good-hearted reasons. And the outcome is bad, but the intent is always good. There's something humane about that story, and I really love it. I highly recommend at least listening to it if you haven't yet. <laughs> I think I saw it, but I don't, I, I'm a big fan of, is it Matt Stone and Trey Parker? Yeah, the Park guys who wrote it. I think that they've done some of the greatest satire in 
a generation. Uh, but for, for whatever reason, I just don't remember uh, Book of Mormon terribly well. I remember a couple of <laughs> that, that to me is almost like a little bit, in my case, a little bit of a counterexample as a, a historical piece uh, of, <laughs> um, of, of a musical. This is a bit of a serious piece, and there's a lot of cheering and marching together as things succeed for Bitcoin. But there's there, just even thinking about writing what it must have been like to have been Satoshi took me down a couple of paths that I hadn't really considered before. It not just did it take a lot of genius to conceive what he did, but it took a lot of courage to yeah. put out, to hide yourself. And then the whole time that you're hidden and at any moment could be found out and could be arrested, but being out there, putting out the word, fixing the code, connecting to the repositories, answering questions on bulletin boards. Every time he did that, or she did that, or they did that. Every time they exposed themselves to potential capture, to potential arrest, to potential something or other, even when they exposed themselves to their friends, right? Like they were not even able to identify themselves or reveal themselves to their closest friends and greatest supporters because everything they did, they were hiding from their greatest opponents and greatest enemies. And so it just to even relate to the series of activities that had to be gone through to create and release Bitcoin in the unique and special way that it was created and released is a dramatic enough story right there that people can just see if you, if you tell it well and you tell it right, like, wow, something really unique happened here. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I always envisioned Satoshi as a Norwegian black metal guy. With a white face, <laughs> two, two meters long, and little long black hair, and <laughs> yeah, devil worshiping right. black metal guy. That's uh, because it would be so fun if that was the case. <laughs> with, I have with, a very different backstory. <laughs> yeah, I, I think what would be interesting is if the different people try to conceive different backstories, but tell them, but tell an interesting story. People can tell whatever stories they want, but if you can conceive a really interesting backstory. And, and tell it in a dramatic way or a comedic way or just any really compelling way because the more that people do that, the, m the more people are exposed to it and can then judge for themselves what this they is... think is interesting about it. Oh, I need to make a shout out to our dear friend, Mr. Fractal Encrypt, who just made his first contribution to Bitcoin yes. Core. I saw That's that. amazing. Yeah. Do you know what it's going I haven't had a chance to go on GitHub. And no, see I, I, yeah, I had a, I glanced over it. Uh, uh, PR ads, missing transaction bracket descriptor example to help the, de uh, derive addresses, uh, examples, the functionality added in, uh, hashtag two, four, zero, four, three is significant departure from dot, dot, dot. I'm not going to read more. <laughs> so you can see we're maybe pursuing some simultaneously different goals in trying to create cultural works and improving the code. Yeah, I have of a hashtag or something. I have no intention of ever contributing to Bitcoin Core. Mm -hmm. It feels a hurdle a tad to to a threshold a, a tad too high to to get over for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't feel like a priority for me right now, but I ne never say never because you never know. At what point in time you're going to go down a particular rabbit hole that might send no, you. No, that's true. Towards that's true. making a contribution at some point. 
or, yeah. or at least towards having a very firm opinion about a contribution and reviewing a contribution. Yeah. There's so much you learned when different things go in there. So it's yeah. nice to see a friend of ours making an effort to make a contribution. How was Pacific Bitcoin? Yeah, Pacific Bitcoin was really extraordinary. It was, it was such a great vibe. I think the size of it was just right. Something was great about, just perfect about the weather, even though it was a little bit cold. And, and the fact that it was a Bitcoin-only crowd just made it really special. So despite the fact that everything was in crazy mode because FTX was melting down, nobody was in a panic who was there. And the dialogue and the discussion wasn't, it wasn't a lot of I told you so's. It was just like, we're here to talk about Bitcoin and we're here to talk about the future that Bitcoin can create. And so people were really just interested in engaging on further discussing where Bitcoin is headed rather than getting caught up in oh, there's shitcoiners here trying to wreck things for us because there wasn't any of that, or there's some narrative that we have to avoid. It was just a very natural thing. It was like a gigantic Bitcoin meetup of hundreds and hundreds of people. And everywhere you went, there were just yeah. people who were really happy to be together and talk about this thing that they're excited about that's bringing justice and freedom and rationality and sanity to the world. And there were lots of people of all sorts of different backgrounds. It was so much more, so much more diverse in that. Like, and I, I don't just mean it in this traditional woke sense of it, although it was definitely, it was very multicultural and multi-gendered and, and just really high, high variety of people, but so diverse in terms of what was bringing different people in terms of background. So it wasn't all just Bitcoin maximalist people who dedicated their lives to Bitcoin. There were lots of artists. There were lots of uh, people coming from all sorts of different professions. It was just a really, really interesting group of people. And everywhere you turned, something else interesting was going on and a great conversation was had. And so it became tiring, of course, just like any of these other great Bitcoin conferences, yeah. that you're just constantly meeting people and constantly talking to people. But it's so uplifting and energizing at the same time because you're like, wow, this is this has become it's becoming so real. There's so many people who are genuinely into Bitcoin and they share the same values and they share the same reasons. And it's more than just some kind of fringe group of, of people who have maybe lost their minds thinking that a computer program is going to change the world. It's like, it's happening and they're convinced and they've all been convinced and they've all, and they've all verified for themselves and taken all these different journeys, but are all in kind of the same, the same area from having taken all these different journeys, which itself is then further reassuring to say, wow, if we can just 10x this and then 10x that, then the, then we'll have sound money for enough people in the world that it really matters and, yeah. and that'll change the world in some way. Sounds sounds like Baltic Honey Badger in Riga, which is, yeah. you should definitely try to come to one of these years because it's one of right. the absolute highest ratio between signal and noise. Uh, it's almost there, no there, It seems like... Yeah, it seemed like Pacific Bitcoin was just at the tail end of a few really positive European conferences. Mm -hmm. And there were a few people there, Natalie Brunel and Greg Foss, yeah, yeah. Jeff, who had been to the European conferences and they were coming on top on the tail end of those to, Funny, to this yeah. conference. And it was just all great. Funny you should mention those tr three because you, they probably told you, but we, we spent uh, like a week in a bus together or a, a half a week in in Bulgaria. Yeah. So, so right. yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of printing I survived four days in a bus with boss t-shirts. We'll see. I'm sure we'll he'd wear his. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he'd wear his. Yeah. No, I had some uh, 
great times there. Uh, the first in Amsterdam, of course, the Bitcoin conference. It, it is what it is. It, I have mixed feelings about it. I love it in a sense, and I love it that they give us such a platform and it gets more and more Bitcoin oriented over time. And I think mm -hmm. they, they have good intentions, but they do let all these shitcoin companies in as well. And they depend somewhat on the, on money from them. And it makes the thing bigger, which is good in a sense, but bad in a sense too, since Bitcoin gets yeah. confused with all these scammers. I think that's what was really special about Pacific Bitcoin. The fact that it was only Bitcoiners and you weren't, you didn't have to have your guard up, right? No. You, you knew every booth you were going to was not about to tell you about the latest, the latest yeah. token that builds on Bitcoin. There was no one pulling any fancy and any fancy wordplay on you. There was just Bitcoiners sharing their projects. And so it, there was this, you could let your hair down, you could let your guard down and really listen and explore. Yeah, Jeff Booth said something interesting about that, that you have a higher chance of actually converting someone at a shitcoin conference than at a Bitcoin conference. A maxi at a shitcoin conference is pro probably having a bigger impact than a circle jerk of Bitcoiners. Then again, I love circle jerks of Bitcoiners because that's where we come up with all these great ideas and all these great projects. And just meeting everyone is so wonderful, like you. As we've befriended some of the best people in the world, and we're lucky to be, find ourselves in these circles and just be, being able to have these conversations, it's just a great feeling. But having said that, I think there's something to that, that you have a higher chance of converting people at different conferences. And the, the one in Bulgaria was called Crypto Revolution, but it was a maxi conference. Like the event organizer was a total maxi and uh, it was advertised as a crypto conference, but then it was Bitcoin only when people actually got there. And mm -hmm. the third conference I went to, or the fourth, the one in Prague called Liberty in Our Lifetime, that wasn't really Bitcoin oriented at all or money oriented. Uh, that was a conference about parallel uh, structures and free cities, free private cities across the world and whatever projects homeschooling and such and whatever along the, those lines. And one of the organizers managed to sneak in a bunch of us toxic maxis in there to convert some people and put them on the right track. And that was really good. I was there with Svetsky and Daniel Prince for, mm. uh, we had a, a table where we sold our books and Nico was there as well from the consensus network. And we, we sold out at all the conferences and yeah, it was really wow, good. It's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, so we walked through all the conferences. No, have you been to any other conferences, by the way? No, I, like for me, these conferences are really very special treats because my travel's been restricted, not because of just these government interventions, but for real grounds, my, I've had a lot of health issues in my family and without getting into the details of them, I've had to be very cautious about, I ha I've had to be present to help take care of sick family members and I've had to be very cautious about potentially bringing back anything for people who are very immunocompromised and very sensitive. So it's kind of, it, I'm held back by the situation. And so it's a very special treat when I do get to go to these things. And, uh, and so I definitely try to make the most of them, but I wish I could be out and about a whole lot more. I do love the experience of going to Bitcoin conferences and Bitcoin events. But it's just the reality. Sometimes you're, oh. you're dealt a particular yeah, hand yeah. that you have to deal with. You have yeah, to play so the cards you dealt. Sad to hear that, but, but you're right. All you have, maybe this is a rabbit to deep dive into because 
that's the thing at each and every specific moment in your life, you only have the hand of cards that you're sitting on for the moment. Yeah. Which is, yeah, that's why I think envy and calling people privileged and stuff is so wrong because every life is tough. It's hard for everyone yeah. at some points, because regardless of your material wealth and stuff like that, you're, there are very few moments in life that are entirely problem-free. We do things to relieve ourselves of felt uneasiness, um, as praxeology teaches us. That's the only reason why people do anything at all. Uh, is A state of eternal bliss would imply that you wouldn't do anything ever. All you have at each given moment is the set of cards that are in your hand at that moment. And you get to pick one card at a time to play in choosing your next action. And this is one of the most fascinating things about Bitcoin. We've been talking a lot on this show and everywhere else in Bitcoin about time preference. And I can really feel how much my time preference has changed because I know a thing like this show is, it's not giving me any income, <laughs> any direct income. <laughs> Especially not at this point in the beginning of the thing, or just writing a song or something. I never really realized before wh why I did those things. But in hindsight, it's a low time preference thing to, to create something that you create regardless of what they might bring you in terms of material wealth. And you, you do them for other reasons. Artistic endeavors can be very, a very low time preference thing. They can be even generational, think of how the things you do in life echoes through through the generations. And maybe you don't have that in, in your frontal lobe, but somewhere in the back there in your subconscious, you act on a more feel for the long term. Yeah, I think it's even deeper than that. I think that there are values that money can buy and there are values that money can't buy. And no amount of money can buy you the satisfaction that comes from putting a creative work into the world that expresses something that you feel deeply about your view of the world, something that matters deeply to you, something like that, whether the work of art is commercially successful or not. And many artists that are sellouts try to produce works that are of maximum commercial value, but not true artistic expressions of what's deep within them. And so it goes beyond even low time preference. Like, why am I choosing to spend this piece of time right now with you? Because you're a friend whose presence I appreciate and I can't buy for money. Right? Like, it, it's a value that money... You could buy it for money, though. Yeah. But how would you show up if I was paying you? Being like, I would be you know, very, very gentle with you somewhere. <laughs> very <laughs> yeah, friendly. Exactly. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you wouldn't be canoed. You'd be some nice impersonator. A laptop version. Yeah. <laughs> now, and I just, I, I think that often, so to me, this is more about authenticity than low time preference. And yep. this is one of the things that I definitely found when I started hanging out with Bitcoiners. It was like, what a bunch of characters, what a bunch of interesting people who will say really interesting things and who have less of a filter and who are really interested in the truth. And I remember commenting at one Bitcoin meetup that I was at, I was like, Bitcoiners are like the knights of the round table. Like someone's a magician and someone's a knight <laughs> and someone's a gentleman and someone's a lady Guinevere. And there's just, there's so much, again, diversity in the personalities 
and characters were not all milk toast. Hey, did you watch the game last night? Did you see the latest episode of this or that last night where everyone's talking about what the culture is pushed out at them? They're creating things of their own Bitcoiners, right? They, and they're sharing what they've created. And that to me is a rebirth, right? That's a form of renaissance that we're starting to see. Bitcoiners are expressing their creativity, expressing their knowledge, pursuing their own unique knowledge, not just they're not imprinted upon by the culture so much as they are imprinting on the culture. And again, that, this to me is goes way beyond money because when you're trying to do something just for the money of the culture, when you're, when, when the money is your only concern, you're not really putting anything very original into the world and you're selling out, you're, you're selling out. I don't want to say that there's anything bad about earning money and doing something for somebody that they value enough to pay you money for. But there are so many things that money can't buy. It can't buy friendship. It can't buy love. It can't buy integrity. It can't buy the truth. In fact, it can buy a lot of the opposites of these things when it's misused. And these things all seem to matter to this group of people who call themselves Bitcoiners. Not, we're not the exclusive group of people who these things matter to, but, but it's a very interesting form of friendship that I think I have with Bitcoiners. It is a different kind of friendship than the one that I would have had with colleagues in other companies or friends that I had just grown up with and we all became parents and all neighbors and consumers of the same culture where our friendship was neighborly, neighborliness, I would describe it as opposed to something that's deep and connected and like we're both really fighting for the same thing and, and interested in each other's personalities and friends because we've chosen that person to be a friend rather than by happenstance because they happen to be a next door neighbor. Yeah, and I think there's so much to unpack there because Bitcoiners, I wrote at some point that you have to, you can skip all the social charades and theater you have to play with normies and you can go straight into the deep philosophy things. But it's yeah. because if a Bitcoiner has been around for a while or even just for it during the most recent bear market and if they stuck to their guns and never went shitcoining and never sold out, you know that that guy or woman <laughs> or whatever had enough integrity and intellectual honesty to, to see this for what it is, but they were also open-minded enough to find it in the first place. So there's something there about that tells you instantly tells you that this person's opinions are worth taking into account. They're not just to be yeah. discarded immediately, which is the case with so many other people when they say something that, 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 that there are so many tells that they are totally out of line with reality and that they have no real connection to their reality. They're living in a, a false reality. And that's the case for so many normies, especially when they start to virtue signal something. I immediately discard them as, and it doesn't matter if it's left-wing or right-wing virtue signaling. It's basically the same phenomena, but Bitcoiners are different there. As you say, well, we, we, we have to watch out. I think we have to watch out in our Bitcoin community too, because there's the risk of becoming, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit of know-it-alls. And the thing is that we do have all the right answers when we've made our share of mistakes as well. And of Bitcoin course. doesn't give you answers about, about every single thing. And we can get very manic when like, when the price is up and we can get very depressed when the price is down. So lots of different things well, seem to happen as, as well. And it's, it's that humility, but. I think what we keep getting over and over is a dose of humility and the people who refuse to be humbled by the truth when it humbles them end up detaching from the community after some period of time. Like what we don't have, which is terrific, is that the whole community demands that we tag along with a line that isn't true. If something is 
demonstrated to be false, then we have to let go of that presumption and we need to seek out a new truth to replace it, a new theory of truth to replace it. Yeah, but that, that's what I mean, that the people that do not react to price at all, that, 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 those are the ones that are really worth listening to. Uh, then, mm -hmm. of course, yeah, it's very important for us to not be arrogant because that's how we alienate people, of course. So if we want to be educators, which is what I guess you and I are in a sense, mm -hmm. then we mm -hmm. need to stay humble and realize that people are do not see the world as we see it. And we yeah. need to them from whatever angle can attract them if right. we're going to make them see this better reality that we are already in. Yeah. And I think Bitcoin isn't. It isn't an automatic revealer of the truth. It says you have to do the work to find the truth. And that's, I think that's one of these really important special things. It's like, we do tend to see truths that other people refuse to see because we're not specifically because we're not a cup, right? Because we're prepared to say this thing that everybody has presumed is true for a very long period of time, turns out to not be completely true or not even be true at all. And that leaves us to say, okay, then that doesn't mean I can just make anything else up. It means I have to find what is true. And that requires using some method of understanding truth. And if it's in a scientific field, and then you can use a scientific method. But one of, one of the, I think, big insights that many Bitcoiners carry, if not as explicitly as I'm about to state it, is the scientific method can't be used to discover every kind of truth, because not every truth is a scientific truth. Here I would make the distinction between a posteriori sciences and a priori sciences. sciences. Uh, okay. Because most of the sciences are a posteriori, which means that they are based on empirical research. And you do an experiment over and over again to test sure. its validity. Yeah. But there are sciences that aren't like that. And one of them is mathematics. The, the most obvious example is mathematics, which is more, it comes from deductive reasoning alone. And mm -hmm. you can prove that one plus one equals two without observing it over and over again. Uh, and the other obvious example would be praxeology, which is why I fell so deeply down into that rabbit hole. Because when I discovered like the difference between these, uh, between a posteriori and a priori, you get an instant different view of science because that means that most sci science, while very useful, is by definition wrong because the map can never be the territory. An accurate description of the universe would have to be the universe itself. But what can be completely accurate is what we can derive from, from human reason alone. And those things can be accurate. We can say that human action is purposeful behavior, which is one of the, the most basic axiom of praxeology. So if you try to argue against that, you need to act and you need to act with the purpose of arguing against that. So you're showing purposeful behavior by trying to argue against it. The same goes for you own your body and stuff. So there's, there are these axioms that are self-explanatory and irrefutable in a way because arguing against them proves them. So that's I'm what I view as real science these days because I think those sciences that are a priori, to me, they're the real sciences. And mixing the two, a priori and a posteriori, gives a priori sciences a bad name. Unfortunately, especially in these days when you have Pfizer and, and stuff influencing, uh, and not only Pfizer, but all sorts of big lobbying or organizations and states and big corporations 
financing studies in this and that. So the results are always somewhat skewed. And what kind of science gets done is also chosen by whoever pays the most. But a priori scientists are different, fundamentally different from that. So I think we should make that distinction. I would add maybe a third class, and I don't know how to define it, but I think... Bro science. Bro <laughs> science. I, I, I think, but I think even something like psychology or economics are fields, and I'm very careful not to necessarily use the word sciences, right? they are fields in which attempts to describe what will happen when we attempt to overly precisely build models that look scientific are outside this, you know, we're attempting to do something that can't be done. And like in sociology, like you can't predict exactly how a society will behave. You can't even predict with reasonable statistical accuracy how someone might react to something, right? And I mean, you have to do all these double blind studies, but the attempt to statisticize, to mathematicize, to scientifize things like psychology is, I think, what led us to a field of psychology that doesn't really get to the bottom of root issues for people who have psychological problems, but instead medicates them with a medicine that in a double-blind study will, will 80% of the time relieve their symptoms, not cure them of their ails or anything like that, because that's what we can cram into the scientific method. We can administer medicines in double-blind tests, but we haven't answered the question, well, why is this person depressed? Why is this person anxious? What internal techniques can be that aren't about chemistry, can people utilize to overcome their conditions, to relieve their themselves of these conditions? And so I think we have these epidemics of, of mental illness, mental wellness, all, all of these kinds of things where we're all going about in a state that if we go to the medical profession to cure us, they're prescribing chemicals and we're left without techniques that actually get to the root cause, which are not chemical imbalances in our minds, but they are Tra traumas and, and bad ideas that if we resolve the bad ideas uh, or bad relationships, and if we resolve the bad relationships, we'd be able to get to some solution on them that is more, that is more beneficial in trying to deal with things through an overly scientific lens. Yeah. This is fun because we, when we discuss, we always try to find where we differ. And I, I would right. frame it slightly differently because I think you, in saying that attaching numbers and mathematics to other sciences is, is often wrong. And I totally agree with that. But we shouldn't let that drag down mathematics itself into being lumped in with these because mathematics is an extremely useful tool can be used for a great many things and it's something that was discovered rather than invented really I, listen uh, i'm a huge fan of mathematics i just i think it's important to know but, when you can apply a tool yeah like, exactly and that's what has been so skewed and that's why scientism is the most prominent religion of today and it's sad in many ways mm -hmm. because people get the wrong impression of what science is uh, <laughs> because science is not not only the scientific method, it's also reasoning, and which is much more powerful, in my opinion. There's a book by Hans-Hermann Hoppe called Make Science and the Austrian Method. And you say that economics is not a precise science, but I would argue that Austrian economics is. All other types of economic schools are wrong and incomplete. 
But Austrian economics knows its limits. It knows what it can do and what it cannot do. And it accepts that value is uh, ordinal and not cardinal. So that you can never put numbers on people's wants and, and wishes. It's not something that you can apply mathematics to. And that's why you need to approach it from a completely different angle. And this is why I love that branch of thinking. So a I think priori- that's a very interesting, yeah, that, like that's a very interesting point of view. So when we understand the limits of what, whether Austrian economics is exactly or not, let's just give it the benefit of the doubt for now. Um, when we know the limits of how we can apply the tools of mathematics, we can apply the tools of mathematics, Yeah, correct? And when we don't know the limits, and that to me is what I, I think what I'm trying to get at, there's a form of rationalism, of overly mathematization of fields beyond the scope of where mathematics can actually help them or should be applied that attempts to substitute for the correct method of understanding something that, that has infiltrated certain fields of study and, and made them far less effective than they otherwise could be. I think of psychology as the best example that I can, that I can, because I, like I'm aware the reason people have psychological problems is not because of math. And yet in the field of psychiatry, what I see when I, what I saw when I went to university was everybody yeah. was studying statistics. And it was like, well, statistics is not the answer to the, it is not the answer to the the problem, right? Of course not. You're not going to mathematically extract why people are unhappy or depressed or anxious or otherwise psychologically distraught. And so I I like that to me, it's one of these things that it should be clear to a person with reasonable faculty of intelligence. We're trying to do the wrong thing here. We're trying to do something with math that math isn't meant to do. Math can't describe. So. That, like that, anyhow, how did we even get on this topic? We got on this topic by saying well, that one of the things that it's important to be humble about what you know and don't know, and that you need to form theories that yeah. correspond to the truth when you found out that something isn't true. And I think that's the renaissance, like to me, this renaissance that needs to take place in our modern civilization is we as a civilization, you can exclude yourself from it. I'm not trying to loop people in, but like we as a civilization became very arrogant. We thought that science had answered every question. We thought we had the answer to everything and we became very arrogant about it. And we started applying, misapplying scientific method and mathematics to all sorts of fields and disciplines. We see it in economics. We see it in healthcare. We see it in a lot of different places. We just, we became very arrogant and now things are starting to really come apart. And we're in our society is not cohesive and coherent and our globe is not cohesive and coherent. And so we need to be humble and we need to act humbly to say, what is it that we're trying to accomplish? What are our goals and how do we actually go about accomplishing our goals in a practical, realistic way, not in some ivory tower ideal way where we don't care about reality because we have some model, but in a way that we actually care very deeply about reality and are prepared to discard models that don't correspond to reality. That to me is, it's the fundamental crisis of our age, right? where we have academia and intelligentsia and the political yeah. sphere completely out of touch with reality, but carrying around models that say, this is what will happen when I raise interest rates or lower interest rates or legislate this or legislate that. And it continuously doesn't work, but they won't let go of the model because well, the practicality doesn't seem to matter. Yeah, the model may work short term to a certain extent, but the long term effects, that's a whole different ballpark. And the, the thing I love about praxeology is that it admits that 
there is no common goal and we are not going anywhere. People have individual goals. Yeah. They they seek what ends they choose to seek out and what means they, they choose to use to reach those ends are completely different for every person. Mm-hmm. And fr- from those insights alone, you can deduct that it's better for even for the thief to not steal. And that theft is always bad. The, the net result, the, the net outcome will be worse for everyone. Yeah. And I think B- Bitcoin ties into this so well because it points out that all the emperors were naked all along. So when I hear that MicroStrategy has bought Bitcoins and that El Salvador has bought Bitcoins, I, I scratch my head because they can't. Some guy has the Bitcoins or there's always some guy that is actually in possession of the Bitcoins because we've cut out, we've erased this barrier between knowing and owning. So of course there can be a multi-sig solution and so on, but then there are a group of guys own the Bitcoin and it might not be the group of guys that the, the, the people who have the fancy papers and the fancy suits thought had the Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. At any point in time, the whole El Salvador experiment can just poof, disappear because some guy ran away with all the Bitcoin, at least as far as the Bitcoins that the El Salvadorian state allegedly owns, they yeah. can disappear. I mean, the Bitcoin is already in the infrastructure in the country, so that's a good thing. Right. But this is this is so powerful and which will change everything to, and it's this, and I know this, and we, we've seen how big of a difference this is. And we're walking around being baffled by people's inability to see what we see. And now I sound arrogant again, I, I know, but it truly is an awakening. Yeah. Max Hillebrand, who was on this show yesterday, pointed out a thing to me a year back, and that is that there's a, a, a distinction between uh, possession and ownership that is very important. Like all words are very important in praxeology. So if you give me, uh, say, your glasses, then I, I possess your glasses, but you own them. So ownership and contractual but possession is Physical. different. So I can still steal them and run away with them. And right. with Bitcoin, the like knowing is possessing. It's not owning, but it's possessing. And it makes it way easier to just take the stuff and go away and cross a border and disappear. Yeah. There's that expression, possession is nine tenths of the law. And I guess you're saying something like in Bitcoin, possession is a hundred percent of the law. But it is. It is. And it changes everything because now like you have something that can't be confiscated. Even if someone points a gun to your head and you give them all your Bitcoins, they cannot know that you gave them all your Bitcoins. You can have given them a very small part of it and still have the rest somewhere else. If you know what you're doing and if you just didn't buy them all at the same time. And that requires you to have different Bitcoins. But still, there's no way for the thief or the perpetrator to to know that they actually got away with what they thought they got away with. So it's probably better for them to interact voluntarily with you and give you something of value back instead. I think that there's so much to still be discovered, right? And we can formulate theories about what owning a significant amount of Bitcoin will be like at a point in time when Bitcoin is actually used as money and transacted by significant parties, but we won't really know until we get there. And we won't really know until we start experiencing what works and what doesn't work. We're still so early as the meme goes, yeah. we can, for- we can formulate really interesting theories, but sometimes theories turn out to be good in theory and not in practice. And we'll end up seeing that things aren't exactly as we predict they will be. 
They probably won't be. But another thing that, that my friend Volker Hermighaus pointed out to me in, in Riga, the guy that translates my books into German, he had a lens to view Bitcoin improvement proposals through. In order for Bitcoin to change, there needs to be like a 95% consensus among the... Everyone needs to agree that the change is for the better. Which, But the lens he viewed that through was that what that implies is that Bitcoin can only get better. It can never be, get worse. Because everyone defines better by what was implemented in Bitcoin. Yeah. So if no one yeah. disagrees... It can either stay the same or get better over time. Okay. And that, which by extension means that civilization can only get better from this point onward. And yeah. poof. Unless we all, unless 95% of us <laughs> make a mistake, but it, it, but it actually is the case when I'm introducing people to the concept of Bitcoin, they sometimes ask this question, like it can't be changed at all. And I say, no, it can only be changed for the better. And yeah. they're like, explain how that is. And it's very easy to explain how that is. And they're like. Wow, what an invention. So when people just And then you say discovery. Yeah. That's a whole other interesting discussion yeah. in and of itself. But I think when people just ask some of the right questions and the right person is there to give them the answers, then something really extraordinary starts to click in because there are a few of these things. Like you've mentioned a couple of them already. The knowing is owning and mm -hmm. the, it can only get better. There's a few of these features that Bitcoin possesses, these attributes that Bitcoin possesses that are so mind-blowing because they're so unique and so original. Like what else managed to make their software worse all the time? GM managed to make their cars worse all the time. How did, did this other <laughs> thing exist that can only be made better, generally speaking, for from what we understand? And how does this thing exist that nobody can corrupt? And how do it seems to have fixed so many things that are broken about just about everything else that we experience in civilization that when you start to understand how it does it, this is part of where so much of the misplaced enthusiasm for crypto comes from. It's, oh, if look, there are actually people who say, if Bitcoin can do this, can we do this in other realms? Okay, Bitcoin has done this yeah. for money. Maybe we can do it for it. And, and this is, and then the ideas start to get silly, but it's like, maybe we can do it for bonds no. or maybe we can do it for stocks or maybe, and, and what people fail to analyze is that all of those things that they're trying to do them in are things that they actually want people in control of. And so they immediately are confronted with this. If people can't be in control of this decentralized autonomous organization or the shares for this company, then it can't do what it needs. So we need to put people in charge. And then they've already defeated the whole purpose of, of decentralization yeah, yeah. And, and but they can't let go of the idea that they want to bar like they love so there's people who love so much about bitcoin that they're trying to bring it into these other realms but mm. they immediately have to compromise on one of these dimensions and now you can no longer bring it right yeah and, and the minute that you can no longer bring it you end up with this terribly distorted perversion of both what bitcoin is and what the other thing might have been intended to be and you're left with this horrible Frankenstein monster of a shitcoin, really, in what emerges. Yeah, I will often wonder, what if money or cash or, you know, medium of exchange and all of these words have been left, uh, had been left out of the white paper altogether. So it was just promoted as like a mathematical experiment in order to create something that couldn't be copied in a computer network. And that was it. Like digital uh, scarcity. Here, here's a digital a, scarcity yeah, invent. Yeah, or decentralized digital fine. scarcity protocol. Yeah, uh, it could be 
a praxeological decker and say finiteness instead of scarcity, but I'm not going to do that. I'm, it, it, but instead, just think, of, <laughs> just think of the but think of it like if, if the word money was never presented, then we wouldn't be in any legal trouble <laughs> ever, and we wouldn't yeah. have shit coins, and we wouldn't. This is just the experiment of making something uncopyable on the internet. And then people could choose to, ah, maybe I could trade these uncopyable things for other, for goods and services. And then it would become money anyway, but it never needed to be advertised as money because it isn't really money in the traditional sense. It's so much more and so much more complex and so much more interesting than just Mm. a good being used as a medium of exchange. This is absolutely finite and it's pure mathematics and that's we never had that and we will never get that again it's a one one shot thing yeah no and this is where i think other people are trying to explore different ideas around this i'm always curious to follow what jason lowry is saying i can't say that i completely understand everything that he's saying every step of the way but it but he seems in honest pursuit or in genuine pursuit of some different kind of analysis of this of of asking the question Will this be somewhat something um, that is of a sh- international strategic importance between nation states? Or when there are those of us who think, oh, maybe this will actually reduce the need for the nation state so extensively that it becomes a much less powerful thing. That's the, the sovereign individual thesis. And there are other people who view, well, it will just become the money of the world, but it is money. And there are those who view it as a peaceful thing rather than a militarily strategic thing. And, and we're all, and like none of us know for sure the answer. I, I think that's what's interesting about where I say, yeah, Bitcoin humbles us all. It says there's something very important and powerful here. We haven't seen how important and powerful it's going to be in finance or in money, let alone in ever in all these other things. But it's so disruptive and it's that that you have to take note and that many people like you and I and so many others are so deeply curious. It's oh, I want to make a lifetime out of studying what I this thing is actually showing because someone's got to figure this out. And I and I've got to figure it out from I've got to try to figure it out yeah, for yeah. myself. There are so many angles to view it from, and I invited Jason onto this show today. So let's see what, okay. uh, what, what when he oh, I hope he comes on. And, uh, I hope be- he comes on. Yeah, because I had a, a, an interesting thread about his ideas. I've been talking to him too li- earlier on, but this was with some other guy. And it was about like, if Bitcoin is becoming the world, the world's reserve currency, uh, let's say, yeah. and everyone starts to use it, you have, you really have no option but to use it. But I argued uh, on the contrary that it's still voluntary. It's not imposed on Mm -hmm. anyone. So it's still going to be voluntary. And just because the choice is so much obviously better than all other choices you have, if it's voluntary, it's still voluntary. And I think this is, I I don't know exactly, I haven't done a deep dive into what Jason Lowry thinks about things, but I think this is one of the points where we differ in our thinking about it, because just because something is so good that everyone uses it doesn't mean that it's imposed on people. So like Mm. the the wheel, a circle is the best shape for constructing a wheel. And, and people choose to construct wheels circularly because that's, you would be stupid. Yeah. It's a pretty good choice. It's obviously the better choice. 
And you can have a government trying to impose square wheels on every car in the country, like in East Germany, where they built the Trabant, which was basically a square wheel. Anyway, you can have that, but you're choosing the better option is, in my mind, is not non-voluntary. It, it is the voluntary choice because it, it's the better. It's just that it's so good it's that everyone great, would choose it. it. Yeah, it's a beautiful <laughs> point. It's, you know what? You have no better choice. So it's not, it's not like people are going around saying, I'm being forced to use the circular wheel. It's like nobody's saying you're forced to use this. Feel free. No. You can use a triangular wheel or a square yeah, wheel. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Want. But the rational choice, and I like this is a very deep concept that you're sharing. Nobody's forcing you to do the best that there is. No. It's the rational <laughs> choice of a rational actor to choose the very best and most appropriate things that they can to build something. You choose to, you want to build a 30 story skyscraper, you're going to use steel and concrete. If you want to use wood, be my guest, but it'll blow down before you finish building, finish building it. Right. So I, I think that to anyone who actually ends up saying, well, I'm forced to use the best thing. There's, there is some kind of irrational desire, some kind of nihilistic desire, even to say, I want to be able to make the rules up as I go along. And I don't want to block, I don't want to be obliged by the rules, the laws of nature. Right. Because this is when we say what's best, we're actually, like what's we're saying, what's naturally best, right? It's naturally best to use a circle. It's it might not be best in the eyes of the cult of square wheel worshippers, right? Or it what? might not be best in the eyes of you know the the government bureau that is in charge of trying to pass the square wheels or somebody <laughs> else who's right or like the you know. But th this is actually like where does the supply? Like we see the supply in crypto all the time, right? There are very broken ideas, like ideas as worse than the square wheel, right? In yeah, crypto. proof of stake. Like, yeah, they're, they're just, they're just, they're very, they're fundamentally broken. Proof of stake, mm. Dentacoin, you can just de decentralize autonomous organizations that are not decentralized or autonomous, yeah, yeah. but they are, are like, these are really, they're not circular wheels and the, you know, NFTs and this notion that you can actually protect a JPEG by putting a hash of it on a blockchain. That itself yeah. isn't decentralized or it, it, immalleable. These are badly broken ideas, and the people who advocate for them genuinely get upset when you point out, "Look, this is this doesn't actually work. This is like trying to build a skyscraper out of wood, or it's like trying to make a wheel that's triangular." And they genuinely get very upset. And it's and so this isn't a silly example that you're citing that of the triangular wheel. It's actually it's a commonplace phenomenon that there are yeah. people who have hitch there everywhere the triangular wheel yeah it, nation states themselves are a, a an example of a triangular wheel it's a way of conducting business that is suboptimal so so that's not how we should run countries like it shouldn't be countries but yeah. <laughs> there are better ways of human interaction than mm -hmm. enforcement I'd love to come on again and continue this conversation because I think every time you and I speak, like we go down these rabbit holes, like we bring them yeah. back around to Bitcoin because that's our, that's our aim. But what we're really, we're really exploring how people understand things, right? And how people can apply tools of cognition to better understand what's going on around them and to rule out yeah. good decisions versus poor decisions. I think we had some really good discussions on that. Like when I re recap the, the most recent part of our conversation and the beginning as well, which is like how, what's a good way to communicate to people, right? When I'm, oh my God, I'm not, I'm not some 
great artist, but I'm trying to discover how to apply art in teaching other people about Bitcoin. And I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to have some delightful experiences. But all of these things are, they come down to, there are so many different ways that the human mind can try to understand things. And some are valid and some are invalid and some are partly valid and partly invalid. And the partly valid, partly invalid ones are actually very interesting if you're yeah. humble enough about them, right? Let's like call them valid. <laughs> but if, if you're humble enough to say this work of art moved about this thing, and I know it wasn't telling me the exact true story of the history of Satoshi Nakamoto or, or this thing, but it concretized something that was very important and helped me to see it in a way that I never would have before. And I know that it's not exactly true, right? Like, why do we read fiction? Why do we enjoy fiction? Because it helps distill something it, through a made up story about something that's very real. And for me, I think these are all really, really val valuable tools to help us understand the universe that we live in, which is such a complicated and difficult to understand thing. It's so overwhelming. And so we can rely on the sciences, but we can also rely on the arts and we can rely on all these different tools of cognition. And we need to be humble about understanding that some are applicable in some instances and not in others. And so that's my big takeaway from this conversation. Yeah. Which I, 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 just, from a I just remembered what I was going to say. And it's sure. about someone pointed out to me that, or asked me the question, what's the difference between wanting to own an NFT and wanting to own any other piece of art? It's still just subjective the value of the thing. But the, the problem I have with NFTs is that they're advertised as something they're not. Exactly. Because most of them are built on, on, on shitcoin blockchains, which aren't worth anything and are not what they're advertised to be. They're not decentralized, they're not secure, they're not anything. They're just pyramid schemes, basically. And Ponzi schemes. Like, mm -hmm. uh, but, but, but even an NFT issued on the Bitcoin blockchain, all the security model of the Bitcoin blockchain goes away. <laughs> it's, it's not valid anymore as soon as you tie it to something in physical space. Because right. you're not proving anything. You can prove that you signed a message at a certain point, but you can't like attach it to the physical world in that sense. And you might as well just use the Bitcoin to buy the proper art. So what's the point? Uh, so buy something from Fractal Crypt instead and get a real thing. And yeah. you don't have to donate to him every time you resell it, which is also one thing they advertise as being good about the NFTs. And I like, if you I don't buy actually a, own it. Yeah. If I buy a piece of art, I want to fucking own it. I don't want someone, the artist to get a cut every time I sell it. Either he sells it to me or not. That's, and if I want to give him a cut, I can do that still. I don't need a program yeah. to tell me what to do with my stuff. So I think, but I think this narrative is. Yeah. This whole thing where people are selling narratives nowadays <laughs> and the narratives don't actually have to correspond to reality and they don't have to make sense. It's a number of people who I've heard say something like, oh, NFTs are, are good because the artist continues to get a cut of, of the things. But let's just understand here. Like if, if the artist is selling is not, is basically renting out to you the right to find another buyer from which he'll get a cut of the thing. It's like, he hasn't sold you his artwork. No, he exactly. sold you permission. <laughs> He's made you his salesman until you successfully sell your artwork to somebody else and he gets a cut and now somebody else has been recruited as the artist's salesman. So at least call it what it is and just, and try to be honest about it. And, and I think this is part of the problem because the reason nobody's scrutinizing any of these things is because the whole thing's actually not about art in the first place. It's about 
monetary hot potato theory, greater fool theory, right? Yeah. Let's find somebody else to buy this and, for more than I can and, and tell this story and tell the story. It's good for artists. And we'll, we'll hopefully disengage someone's critical thinking skills for long enough to say, hold on, I'm not actually, I don't actually own this work of art and I'm not actually buying it, this work of art. And I'm not actually set, you know, selling it as my, as the owner of it. I'm sell, I'm exercising my right to be the next person down a, a chain of selling of a, a hash that points to some work of art that anyone can make a copy of and you can't distinguish an original from there's such a chain of fallacious reason yeah, yeah a yeah. chain of fallacious reasoning or bullshit yeah, yeah. If, you, if you will that if that people Fetal try to reasoning. overwhelm you yeah. people try to overwhelm people's like there's only so much you can hold in your mind at a time and if someone hits you with 16 different things that you weren't able to follow each and every one of them and then at the end it's like would you now you are you ready to buy this thing you should run for the hills but a lot of people are like this is the world I live in. I don't understand much of what goes around. So there's, you know, I don't understand how my TV works. I don't understand how the screen worked over here. But I guess the difference is I can see that the TV works. I can see that the screen works. Right. I, 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 I can never verify, or I can actually falsify. Right. This debate I once had with somebody on uh, Twitter Spaces where they said, "Well, you have your view about Bitcoin, and I have my view about NFTs." And I said, "But." The difference is I can actually validate and verify yeah, my truth exactly. about Bitcoin and I can falsify your claims about uh, yeah. NFTs. And, and so yeah. that person left the room abruptly because that was, okay, that was the distinguishing point. There are things that you can verify <laughs> and there are things that you can falsify. And it's important to try to do those things. If I could demonstrate that you don't actually control a Bitcoin, that's, that I can actually move it's a Bitcoin that you claim is yours. Could, and that it, it uh, is by rights yours, then Bitcoin is broken and Bitcoin's a lie, but you can't. Whereas when I can right click your NFT and make a perfect copy that's indistinguishable from the copy you have, I can, I have falsified your claims that you actually own this work of art. Because <laughs> I, yeah. I can do anything with it that you can do with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and anyhow, except, except money laundry. Because the, the, from what I know, that's what they're mostly used for is to launder money. And that's a beautiful thing in itself. So let's just <laughs> give them that. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. the fact that they can, that some folks can get away. I, if it was only, uh, to be honest, if it was only money laundering that NFTs were being used for, I'd say, let them have at it. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've seen a lot of instances of where it's used to mislead naive, even children, like nieces and nephews of mine who've been like, who've shown it, like they're not money launderers, yeah. they're kids thinking that they've been shown something, some way to make money. And so instead they've been ripped off by some venture capital firm in Silicon Valley. Yeah. So someone added bleach to their money laundry laundromats and now all their clothes are smaller and uh, miscolored. <laughs> mm. But no, well, yeah. bad metaphor, but anyway, Luke, <laughs> Luke, do you have something to add? This? The only thing to add to this thread is, uh, you know, as Giacomo uh, said in uh, Riga, money laundering is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Tomer, yeah. I, I, this has been a great conversation. I won't, I won't keep you too much longer. I like to thread poll. So I'd like to, I'd like to have you on another time and uh, continue this conversation. Okay. That'd be great. Um, but is there anywhere you'd like to point our listeners towards to find out more about you and your work? Ah, oh, gee. You know, I think if you're looking for some piece of content that's good for orange pilling other people or just answering some basic questions. I would say my book, Why Bitcoin? It's very short. It's like 27 articles, each of which is only two to three minutes of a read. And you can get it for free at events.swanbitcoin.com slash why Bitcoin. 
uh, or if you uh, if you go to blurb.com slash user slash Tomer Strolig, because uh, they, they, they don't put my whole name, so T-O-M-E-R-S-T-R-O-L-I-G, you can order a hard copy of it. But you can also, there it is, at Tomer Strolight on uh, Twitter, on my profile page, you can find a link to the book. And it, I think it's the only Bitcoin coffee table book that it, that is out there. I've got lots of stuff. If you look for me on Medium, I think one one article that people really enjoy that I wrote, published in September called The Legendary Treasure of Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, oh, that's, explains that's, why people have spiritual experiences who s- start to study Bitcoin and what that and and what why it leads to that and how it goes how that starts to happen. Uh, but I've written a lot of stuff and there's lots of stuff on Medium. There's lots of stuff on the Swan Bog, which is Swan.com/signal. If you just Google for me, like if you're interested in any kind of the stuff that I've written, and if you have 15 minutes, watch my movie uh, Bitcoin is Generational Wealth. Just Google Bitcoin is Generational Wealth YouTube and it'll come up on Swan's channel. And th- these are all of my attempts to try to communicate about Bitcoin in in my own voice and in, in a way that's a little bit different from others. Although everyone still thinks of Knut Spanholt for whenever he puts out something new. So you'll, Yeah, it's yeah. funny. Hey, it's uh, Knut is Tomer from uh, Europe and uh, Tomer, you're Knut from, from right. Uh, Canada, right? <laughs> or or yes. the American side of it. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. that'll work. Yeah. That'll work. Uh, and I, I really, I've, I've liked a lot of your work. Uh, one one that I thought was really interesting was uh, the piece you did about the uh, independence wars. I really enjoyed. Oh, the four wars. So, thank you for reading that. I wanted to I wanted to bring an artistic tone to talking about the four wars because it's one thing to write about, to r- objectively report on something, which is what journalists do. But it's another thing to experience it from the front lines, to experience war from the front lines. And that's what I tried to do in that piece is to tell the story of the fork war from the front lines. So that's on Bitcoin Magazine and it's called Cyber Soldier Freedom Fighter. And it's my account of what it was, my firsthand account of what it was like to be in the fork wars as stylized like the memoirs of a soldier in the war. Yeah, I really liked it. It it inspired me to go read the block size wars too. It was just great. so interesting. Great. So yeah, that's great. just a, that's just a taste for our listeners. You've got yeah. some great work. I Thank encourage you. everyone to check uh, check out more. I think uh, you're the only Tomer Strollite out there, right? I'm the well. Actually, there's a lot, there's a lot of, with two T's and two L's and an I instead of an L. So yeah, there's yeah. a lot of imitators. But I'm the one on Twitter with something like thirty three thousand followers or something. Got they have way more or way less. <laughs> we'll link to the right one, that's for sure. Yeah, thank you. Sounds sure. fucking great. It's been a p- real pleasure talking to you guys. And I'll uh, look forward Same to our to next you, time. brother. And uh, hope yeah. to see you again soon in real life as well. And uh, we'd like to invite you on here anytime. That would be yeah. amazing. I'd, I'd be, I'm definitely up for it. All the best, my friends. Nice yeah. to meet you as well, Luke. And look forward to seeing you guys again soon. Take care. Thanks, Tomer. Appreciate Thanks a lot, Tomer. See you next time. Take care. Take care. Yeah. See you. See you. Okay, this has been the Freedom Footprint Show. Just a reminder about everything uh, we've we've uh, previously discussed. Yeah, exactly. Can you just got the uh, why Bitcoin uh, up right there? Nice that you had it handy. Yeah. So, do you want me to read for the audience what he wrote to me in gold here? It's your boy. If, if, if uh, it's not too personal, yeah, sure. Or maybe that makes it better. I think I can read it. Otherwise, we'll cut it out. But I, I think so. When we've shared a residence together for over four hundred blocks. Uh, we automatically became Bitcoin brothers. Uh, you can count on this family member for friendship and support whenever you need it or want it. April 2022, Miami Beach, Florida, Tomer Strollite. So I treasure, I treasure this copy very much. And of course. Yeah, he's a, a dear friend. Like so many others in this space, not taking 
anything away from any, anyone else. There was a time in my life where I thought I, I was too old to make new friends. Hmm. But the coin has disproven that over and over again. Yeah, it would Very be sad if so. that were to happen in life and especially to, to you because, uh, yeah, it's been great your influence on the Bitcoin community only in this uh, such short a time. And that message should show everyone who is a fan of yours, go check out Tomer because, as you yep. say, you're basically the same person and he seems to agree. Yep, that's it. And we try to invite... Mostly friends on this show. And if they're not friends, they will be after the conversation, I hope. Exactly. That's the goal anyway. Yeah. If they're not, something's gone wrong. Yeah. Then fuck Perfect. them. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. All right. Okay. So I think that's it for tonight. This has been the Freedom Footprint Show. Just a reminder, the best way that you can support the show is to use a value for value podcasting app such as Fountain or Breeze. You can stream us some sats or give us a boost if you enjoyed the show and you thought it was worth your time. And we also appreciate sharing, uh, subscribing to the Consensus Network YouTube channel, all that sort of thing. The podcast is uh, supported by Consensus Network, and this is the platform that has enabled us to have this show, so we're grateful to them. Check out consensus.network for more information about them and their translations of Bitcoin books. And check out newtsvonholm.com for the lovely t-shirts and more everything divided by 21 million merch from Newt's Von Holm. And books. Else, and books. And books and videos and everything else. And check out the freemadera.com uh, website where everything about the free Madeira object is is on there. Yeah, have a look at that and come and visit Madeira at some point. I think I'm going there late February, beginning of March. That's when I plan to visit next time, but nothing is set in stone yet. But there will be news. I'll, I'll keep you posted about anything Madeira related that's going on too. Okay, keep your, this is the Easter egg for everyone who's stuck around this long. Keep your ears open for something about Madeira. Perfect. Yes. Okay, I think that's it for us for tonight. So yeah. thanks for listening. This has been the Freedom Footprint Show, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>